you. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Earl. That was beautiful. For believers, the best is yet to come, isn't it? It really is. Amen. Beautiful song. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ruth, Old Testament book, right after the book of Judges, in case you're, you have Joshua, Judges, then you have Ruth, and then you have First and Second Samuel, and so if you, you know, if you see those, you know you've gone too far. It's only four chapters, so it's only just about three or four pages is all, so you, it's easy to miss. Right after Joshua uh, and Judges, and right before First and Second Samuel. If you need to look at, in the front of your Bible in the index to find it, do that, because I want you to have your Bibles open as we think about this, uh, a mother's journey. Now, even though I entitled it a mother's journey, and it is a mother's journey, uh, I'm just not speaking to mothers today because all women are on a journey. And I'm not just speaking to women. All men are on a journey too. So all of us sitting here today are on a journey, and we can see ourselves uh, maybe in this text, or maybe we see a warning to ourselves in this text as we see this mother's journey. Um, with that said, look at verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. That's about a thousand years before the time of Christ. It says that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, Judah, together like that, it would be like saying Greensboro, North Carolina. It was the city of Bethlehem in the region of Judah. And uh, there was a famine. And this man went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the man's name was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites, Ephrathites is a, a title for people who lived in Bethlehem. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came unto the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Kilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left with her two, uh, left of her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today, the beautiful singing. Thank you for all the mothers. Speak to us now. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine being a mother and having children in Ukraine today with a war going on all around you? Look at the picture on your screen. You see a family. That's the mother looking up. Her name is Anya. Anya has 11 children with her. If you count all of those faces in there, if you had the time to look up close and count them all, I, I could only count 10. I guess the 11th one was taking the picture, maybe. Uh, 
But she has 11 children. They're all foster children. And they were in an underground bunker for 42 days without coming out. They had to stretch their food to try to make it last. They could hear bombs falling all around them. They knew that if a, if a bomb had a direct hit where they were, they would die for 42 days. Talk about hardship. Talk about difficulty. There they were. This is what Anya said, and I'm quoting now. It was hard to live there, and it was dangerous. But every day we woke up, we were thankful to God that we were still alive and we were able to worship Him. Isn't that something? Wouldn't it be wonderful if every day you and I woke up, we would be thankful to be alive? I mean really thankful and give God praise and thanks and worship Him. And then she said, we were reading the Bible, worshiping, and we had this peace of God in our hearts. End of quote. After 42 days, they were rescued by a Christian organization. Now they're awaiting transportation to Switzerland. Here was a mother who had peace in the midst of her worst storm in life because she knew the Lord Jesus. Well, we have a lady in our text today who I think was similar to that and uh, her name is Naomi now God is the main character in the book of Ruth the, the word Lord with all capitals which indicates it is Yahweh Jehovah is used 17 times that's uh, in four chapters 17 times Lord Yahweh creator and then the, uh, the word uh, Elohim is used two times, or, or three times. And the word Almighty is used two times. So 22 times God is called by name in four chapters. So he's the main character, but the human character in chapter 1 is Naomi. As we go to the rest of the chapters, the main characters are Boaz and Ruth. Now, there are, there are two ways of looking at this great book. And I, I, I may come back and go through this verse by verse because I just really love this book and haven't gone through it verse by verse with you in a long time. And today, trying to squeeze all of it in there makes me feel like I'm running a, you know, running a sprint or something trying to get, get everything I want to say in there. There's two ways of looking at this book and two ways of understanding this book. And that is, one is the allegorical way, and the other one is the historical way. Now, both of them are legitimate, because the allegorical way of looking at it understands that these are real people, these things really happen, these are real places. Um, let me give you the allegorical understanding of the book, and uh, it becomes obvious as you study it a little bit. Elimelech, his name means God is my king, or my God is king. And so uh, he pictures a man 
who is a follower of the Lord and a man who lives in Bethlehem, which means bread of uh, house of bread. So he lives there. But this man leaves when a famine comes and he goes into Moab. And Moab is a picture of the world, of sinfulness, of evilness. Moab was started by the man named Moab. He was the son of Lot. He was the son of Lot and Lot's oldest daughter. He was the son of incest. And it was he that started this city. And in this city, they, the national god was Chemosh. And Chemosh was a fire god, and children were sacrificed. The children they didn't want, or the children that was too much trouble, they sacrificed him, them to Chemosh, their own children. Unbelievable. This was a wicked, wicked place. And so it became a picture of a sinful life or living in the world with a worldly worldview and so forth. Then you have uh, Elimelech. He's like the prodigal son that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. He's leaving, you know, he's leaving where he should be, going to where he should not be, and he ends up in the hog pen in Moab. But where the story differs so much is that the prodigal son came back, but Elimelech dies in the hog pen. And he took his two sons with him. Naomi's the one that ends up coming back. She comes back to Bethlehem, and it's a picture of, of somebody returning to the Lord. The word return in various uh, uh, constructions of the Hebrews is used seven times in chapter 1 even. Return. It, it means repentance. It means coming back to the Lord. And when she comes back, she makes that great statement at the end of the chapter where she says, I went out full, but I came back empty. It's always true. When you go out of the will of God, you go out full. You may not realize it, but you go out full. But when you come back, you come back empty because that's what the world does to you. But the good news is when you come back, the Lord can fill you again with His blessings and presence. Amen? So that's chapter 1 in this allegorical understanding. And then the rest of the book is a love story between Boaz and, and Ruth. Not Naomi, but Ruth. And, uh, and it's allegorical as well. It's, it, this is almost like a living parable as such. Boaz is, is the kinsman redeemer. To be a kinsman redeemer, you had to ha have three things. You had to be kin, related. Two, you had to have enough wealth. You had to be able to redeem, to pay for somebody's property and take care of people and so forth. And third, you had to be willing uh, to do so. You were not forced to do so. So the Lord, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus who is our kinsman redeemer. He's kin to us in that he came to earth and took on a human body like ours. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He's able in the sense that he's paid the price for our redemption. We're redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with incorruptible, the precious blood of Christ. He's paid the price to redeem us. 
And then the third is, is he willing? He is willing. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to repentance. He even said about himself in his ministry, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so it's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus redeeming us. That's the allegorical look. But I want to spend most of our time thinking about the historical aspect. It's a little more complicated. And uh, we want to look at it together. Look at your screen for a moment. We'll start out with notice Naomi's blessings. She was blessed. She had a marriage. She had two sons. And that's in verse 1. And then in her, she had a name, Naomi, which meant sweetness, pleasantness, peacefulness. She had a pleasant life. She had a good life, like many people in America. All of these things were true about her until the hardships came. Wouldn't it be wonderful, though, if God's people, like Anya in, in Ukraine... We're thankful for the little things, that we're still alive when we wake up. That you have a husband or a wife, or that you have a child, a son, or a daughter, or that you have a mother and a father and so forth, and grandkids. So she was, we notice her blessings. And then we notice her hardships. The first hardship was the hardship of finances. Now, I know a lot of people in our day experience pressure and hardship and struggles because of finance. And it was true of this couple. Now, remember there was a famine in the land, and that's the reason they left Bethlehem in Judah. So there was uh, things were not going well financially for them. Maybe they owned a, a, a farm of some sort. And there was no rain. It was a drought. And they couldn't produce to make any money. And maybe uh, Elimelech tried to find another job and couldn't find a job. And so there was hardship, financial hardship. But once they got to Moab... It was even harder because now Elimelech dies. And in those days, it was extremely difficult for a widow, or an unmarried woman for that matter, but particularly for a widow to make ends meet. Here she is in a strange land. Her husband dies. But I'm sure her sons had jobs, and they had enough to have a roof over their head, and they probably took their mother in, one of them or both of them, and so forth. But... But then they died too. And she was left with no means of support. And so there was this hardship of finances. But I want you to notice the second thing, and that is her husband was out of God's will. Now, I believe Naomi is the hero in this story in chapter 1. And really all through the book too, but particularly in chapter 1. And uh, Elimelech, I believe, should have stayed in uh, Bethlehem. But he wanted to go somewhere where he could make money. Let's, let's think for a moment 
how that conversation may have gone. He, he comes to his wife and says, Honey, you know it, there's a drought and there's a famine, and I've tried here and I've tried there and I can't find any work, and I think we should move to Moab. And she said, Moab? Not Moab. That's, that's a wicked place. We don't want to go to Moab. She said, why would you want to go there? And he said, that's where, the, that's where you can make money. And she said, well, how do you know that? He said, I Googled it. <laughs> and she said, is that your only source of information? He said, oh, no. They talk about it on TikTok, too. And then, she, and then he said, and there's a, there's a video on Facebook of the people who live in Moab saying, come to us, come, we love it here, come. He said, I think we ought to go. And she said, no. I... Can you imagine her saying something like this? The people there sacrifice their babies to a false god. Some people call it abortion. Some people call it worship. They worship on the altar of convenience. If they don't want that baby, or if the pregnancy come at a time you wasn't really ready, or you wasn't in the mood, or something like that, you just kill that baby. He said, but that's where the money is. She said, we, we don't want to go to Moab. Mo, in Moab, they think homosexuality is okay. They not only think it's okay, they celebrate it. And they have parades and so forth. He said, but that's where the money is. And then she says, in Moab, there's all kinds of gender confusion. Boys don't know whether they're boys or girls, and girls don't know whether they're girls or boys. Leaders can't even define the word woman. And he says, that's where the money is. And then she says, and maybe worse of all, all of these things are taught to the children in their school system. They're indoctrinating the children in these terrible and horrific sins. Think for a moment that Moab is not a place for us. Now, it was a literal place in that day, of course, but think for a moment that Moab is not a place, but it's a lifestyle. It's a worldview. It's the way people live and the way people think, the way people believe. I wonder how many of God's people today are living in Moab. Maybe they're not all the way there. Maybe they've just moved close and they're on the outskirts of Moab. Thank God, eventually, Naomi comes back home. She returns. She turns around and goes in the right direction. Amen? Amen? So we have her hardship of a husband out of the will of God. And then she lost her husband. 
Talk about a hardship. Can you imagine her sitting beside the bed? The two boys are on the other side and they're holding his hand. And I don't know this. I'm speculating again. I'm just thinking it through. But I wonder if maybe he didn't say sometime the last few days, he said, Honey, I'm sorry I brought us to this terrible place. I wonder how many husbands have to say that today. I'm sorry I led my family to live like Moab. I just think maybe he might have felt that way. And then, of course, her sons married Moabite women, which wasn't specifically forbidden uh, as far as the nation of Moab. But the Scripture tells us we're not to marry unbelievers. And that's what the New Testament says. It says we're not to marry unbelievers. We're not to be unequally yoked together. And when you get married, you're yoked together with an unbeliever. And so the teaching in the Old Testament as well. And then she lost her sons too, both of them. Now, how did all three of them die? I don't know. You know, it could have... Infection killed a lot of people back then. You could have had an accident, broke your arm, and it could have become infected. And, and uh, there's many ways people would have died back then. But all three of these in a period of 10 years, probably the death of the last son happened pretty, pretty close to that 10-year period. And that's when she decided to go back. So we see her hardships. Life's full of hardships, isn't it? But isn't it wonderful, even if you're in a hardship like underground for 42 days with Russia's war machine rolling across your front uh, uh, lawn that you could still have peace. You can still be thankful. And then notice her blessings, her hardship, her influence. This is a beautiful thing. The influence she had with Ruth and Orpah. Let's pick that up in verse 8. And I've got to move quickly. And Naomi said unto her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to uh, her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that ye will find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. <coughs> She's saying, You should get married again. And I'm praying that the Lord will help you find a husband so you can be happy and have children. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, pick it up in verse 14, for time's sake. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So Orpah goes back. But both of these women were influenced so much that they both considered giving up the place where they grew up, their culture, their family, and everything to go with her. Ultimately, Orpah goes back, but Ruth cleaves to Naomi. Notice verse 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister is gone back unto her people and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, and some people have said this is the most beautiful 
verse in all of literature. Look at it, verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whether thou goest, I will go. And whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. There, where thou diest, will I die. And where thou be buried, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. And when she saw that she was steadfast-minded to go with her, she left off speaking unto her. So the two of them now go back to Bethlehem in Judah. So we, we see the great influence she had on these two Moabite girls who grew up in the Moabite school system and believed in, uh, in the national god of, of uh, Chemosh and uh, all the sins of that place. And she had faith in the Lord. I'm going to come back to that one in just a moment, spend more time at it. And I think maybe she had peace of the Lord. I put a question mark there because you can't, you can't pinpoint it in the Scripture, but her name meant uh, pleasant and peaceful and so forth. And I think that even though she cried her eyes out when her husband died and when her children died, she probably cried until she had no more tears. Maybe she couldn't sleep at night for a long time. But uh, no doubt she mourned and her heart was broken. But along the way, she also had some peace. And those two Moabite women saw that peace in her heart. You know, there's no greater testimony that a Christian can give than peace and joy in the midst of trouble and difficulty. And that was the testimony I think Naomi gave. And then, I just want to sum it up like this. She had something. Whether it was peace or faith or whatever they saw, they saw something in her worth having so that they were willing to consider leaving everything they knew growing up. So, blessings, hardship... And then notice her faith. She had faith in God's goodness. Look back at verse 8 for a moment. And uh, it says, uh, she's talking to her daughter-in-laws. She says, go return each of you to your mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly with you. Kindly with you. That's, a, that, that's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It means God's love and loyalty and kindness to his people. I want you to see that even in the midst of all of her heartache, she still believed in God's kindness and love. And she's wishing it on. She's praying for this uh, love for her daughter-in-laws. And then also, she believed in God's sovereignty. If you look back up at verse 6, and then she arose and her daughter-in-laws that she might return. There's the first time the word return is used from the country of Moab. And she uh, heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. She didn't think that it just got better and that the famine went away. She saw it as the Lord's doing. The Lord blessed his people in Bethlehem and gave them bread. And she also saw even her own troubles. Look at the end of that chapter. 
And verse 20 says, She called me no more Naomi, but called me Mara, because Mara means bitter. Um, uh, and she says, Call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home empty. She says it's the Lord that brought her back, didn't she? The Lord hath brought her back, even though she's empty. And, uh, and then she said, Why call you me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now, I don't think she was saying she was bitter in her heart necessarily, but she had had bitter circumstances. The circumstances she had lived through in the last ten years were bitter and cruel and difficult and, and hard. So she said, call me Mara. The very next verse, God calls her Naomi. He still calls her pleasant and peaceful. And so she believed in God's sovereignty, and then she believed in God's will. She couldn't make the decisions as long as her husband was living and her two sons. But when the decision fell to her what to do, she went back to Bethlehem. She went back to the Lord's place. Remember it means it means house of bread. It's the place where Jesus was born of course who said I am the bread of life. It's the house of bread and she goes back in the will of God. And so we see her faith. Faith in God's goodness and kindness and love. And then I want to see the outcome, just quickly. We don't have time to turn there. Uh, but in the very last chapter, this is what happens. You, you remember Boaz and Ruth, they have this romance going on, you know. And it's a beautiful romantic story. And, uh, but when we get to chapter 4, Boaz marries Ruth. And uh, now they have security, and not only Ruth, but Naomi. And they have land again, they have security, and then Ruth has a baby. And the story ends basically with Ruth letting Naomi hold that baby, which would be her grandbaby, of course, in, in, by law. And she's holding that grandbaby and, uh, and in, in her lap and up to her chest. And it's a beautiful thing of God filling her again now with love of family and with security and with meeting all of her needs. Isn't the Lord good? Even in the most difficult of times, we can still believe in the goodness of the Lord. Amen? He's still loving and kind and good to us, and we should be thankful every day. Well, I want to go back now to this family that's living underground for 42 days. I read to you what Anya said. I want to read to you what a couple of the children said now. The first one is uh, Sergey. Sergey says, and I quote, I didn't worry. I was at peace, and I was in a safe place. He's 18 years old. And then he said, God was with us and was going to protect us, end of quote. Isn't that a beautiful thing coming out of an 18-year-old living underground in a bunker? <clears throat> and then 
There was another 18-year-old in the group, and her name is Olena. And she said, at first, I was afraid. She said, I was praying to God, and I had this peace in my heart. That's why I didn't feel this fear. End of quote. Young people, what are you going through? What's your big problem? Do you have peace? Do you wake up every morning and thank God you're alive? And that you're able to worship the Lord? Listen, God's concerned with all ages. He's concerned with young people that they experience His peace and His joy in life. And His purpose in life. Maybe you're going through a difficult time yourself, a young person. Or maybe an adult. And you need God's peace. Bow with me please, would you? I wonder how many would say, Preacher, I'm going through a difficult time, a hardship, and I need God's peace. Pray for me. Would you slip your hands up all over? Yes, God bless you and you and you. God bless you. I see hands in every section. Yes, God bless you. Hands everywhere. You may put them down. God bless you, each one. I wonder if you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. I've never been redeemed by the blood of Christ and had my sins washed away. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up, anybody like that? No one's going to come to you or embarrass you. I'm going to pray for you, that's all. Raise your, raise your hand, let me pray for you. Anybody like that? All right. Father, you've seen the hands of your people. Some of them are going through difficult times. We pray for your peace for them. And then, Lord, I didn't ask this question because I wouldn't want to embarrass anyone, but I wonder if there are some under the sound of my voice today who are living at least a little bit in Moab. Teach us to do what Naomi did and turn around and come back home. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me, please. The words will be on the screen. We're going to sing together. If you'd like to come for prayer, we invite you to come as we sing. I need the every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I softly for a moment. Aren't these beautiful words? They're written so that we're singing directly to the Lord. It's a prayer. So let's sing that next verse. And let's kindly forget about, you forget about me and the people around you and let's sing it to Jesus. I need you. Let it be our cry today. Lord, I need you in this wicked world in which we live. I need you every hour. In the temptations, in the trials, in the hardships, I need thee. Let's sing it to the Lord.
all God's people said, Amen. Amen.